This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. I may be dating myself a little, but I remember a song that had this refrain, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I don't know how old that would be, but, but I can tell you, it's just as up to date as this morning's newspaper because the world still needs love. I hope that you'll stay tuned because today I want to talk about love a more excellent way. Now, I'm Billy Lambert, and I want to thank you for tuning in today to watch Getting to Know Your Bible. And also today on Getting to Know Your Bible, we are offering a free Bible correspondence course. We'd like for you to have it. In order that you might know more about the course and how you can receive it, please pause with us for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. I'd like to read now from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning with verse number 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, and have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, and then face to face. For I know in part, but then I shall know, just as I also am known. Now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. The greatest of these is love. The book of 1 Corinthians was written to a church filled with difficulty. 
They had all kinds of things going on. For example, in the first chapter, they were divided over their favorite preacher. Someone would say, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ, I'm of Apollos. Then in the third chapter, Paul dealt with the fact that they were not as mature in their Christian walk as they should have been. In the fifth chapter, there was a problem of immorality in the church, a man living with his father's wife. In the sixth chapter, he addressed the issue of conflicts they were having among themselves and how to settle those conflicts without going before the heathen courts. In the seventh chapter, there was a problem of of marriage, and, and there were several issues that Paul dealt with in the seventh chapter. And in the ninth chapter, the tenth chapter, there was a problem of backsliding. Chapter 11, there was the abuse of the Lord's Supper, turning the Lord's Supper into, into a common meal. And I find it rather interesting that in the thirteenth chapter, where Paul devotes an entire chapter to the subject of love, that chapter is written to the very church that had all those issues going on. You see, I believe love is the answer to all the ills that we have in this world. As a friend of mine, Brother Tom Neal would say, it's all about the love, and it really is love for God, love for His Word, love for one another. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all of thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And so we want to think about love today. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul enumerates certain spiritual gifts, nine in number. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he talks about the regulation of those gifts, and then in, or the duration of those gifts rather, how long those gifts would last. And in the 14th chapter, he talks about the usage of those gifts in a public assembly, in the worship of the church. But in the, 13th, the 12th chapter, in verse 31, he says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And it's the way of love. And I want us to know, first of all, these things about love. First of all, the essentiality of love. Paul said, if I were to speak with the tongues of men or of angels, and I did not have love, I would be like a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. You see, we have to have love. If I were to be able to speak in the, in the language of, of angels and I did not do it out of motivation of love, it would be useless. It would be very unedifying. And then he said, if I had the gift of prophecy, if I could understand all mysteries and all knowledge, I did not have love, it profits nothing. I think there to prophesy most closely corresponds to preaching today. And a man may preach and preach and preach, but if he's not motivated out of love, it profits nothing. Ephesians 4.15 says, But speaking the truth, and what? In love. In love. And then Paul says, If I had knowledge, uh, a, a supernatural knowledge, I didn't have love, it profits nothing. He said, If I had faith so that I could remove mountains, I, it, it, it profits nothing. Uh, somewhat, and he says, if I were to give my, my body to be burned, give all of my goods to feed the poor, and I did not have love, it profits nothing. Now what all of this tells me, that God is not just concerned about what I do. He is concerned about what I do, but God is concerned 
about why I do it. You see, my motivation. Why do I do what I do? Why do I, why do I preach sermons? Why do I go and bake a cake to carry it to some neighbor that's just moved in the neighborhood? Why do I visit the hospital when there's someone sick? Why, why do I help some child that's, a, that's come from a, a very a bad family background? Why do, I, why do I take them in and try to help that child? What's my motivation? And it's not for self-promotion. We ought to be motivated out of love. But what does it really mean to love? And in this chapter, he tells us all about love. And love... It is something we do. He said, first of all, love is patient. That is, love suffers long. Love uh, has the power to avenge itself. But love will not do that. Abraham Lincoln had a critic by the name of William Stanton. And, and he was very critical of Lincoln. said some very hard and hurtful things about him. But when Lincoln became president, Lincoln selected him to be his war minister. So someone asked Lincoln why he would do that. Why would you select a man who had been so harsh and unkind to you? He said, because he's the best man for the job. And it said that when Lincoln died, was killed, and that Stanton came to, to his uh, side and he looked down into the face of Lincoln in his coffin and said, There lies one of the greatest men the world has ever known. You see, Lincoln knew all about being patient and long-suffering with people. Love is kind. Paul in Ephesians 4.32 said, Be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, Paul said we ought to be kindly affectioned one toward another. And in Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 26, the, the worthy woman there is referred to like this, the law of kindness, the law of kindness is in her tongue. We need to be kind. We, one woman was a very harsh type woman. She had never had anything good to say about her husband. But finally the man died. And as he was there in the funeral parlor, she walked over and she put a rose, a lone rose in his hand. And someone remarked, that's the kindest thing she ever did for him. Isn't that sad? You see, love, love is kind. And then he says, love does not know any kind of envy. Someone has said that there are two classes of millionaires, those who are millionaires and those who want to be millionaires. And that there's two kinds of envy. And that's the person who envies what you have and, and or the other person who doesn't necessarily envy what you have. They just don't want you to have it. Jesus knew that it was because of envy that he was crucified. Matthew 27 and verse 18. They were envious of his influence, envious of his life, envious of his teaching. And because of envy, he was crucified. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 30, Solomon said that envy is rottenness of the bones. Think about that. It's a cancer to the soul. 
I read a story once about a young man who, who was a very outstanding athlete. And so the people in the town where the young man grew up uh, built a statue in his honor in the town square. And there was a friend of his, they, they had gone to school together, but he had not excelled as did the other young man, but he was envious of this fellow who had the statue built in his honor. And late one night, he went out into the town square with the intention of pulling that statue down and destroying it. But when he did, the statue toppled on top, fell on top of him and crushed him to death. Now that's what envy will do to you. Envy will destroy. But love does not envy. Love does not vaunt itself, push itself to be forward to be noticed. Or in other words, love is not a braggart. Love does not feel its self-importance. Love is not puffed up. Napoleon said, I'm not a man like other, man, other men. Now, now, if he had stopped there and put a period, he would have been telling the truth because he wasn't like a man like any other man. But he went on to say, out of his arrogance, the laws of morality do not apply to me. Oh, you see, love, that, that's not love. Love is not puffed up. We're, we are to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Read Galatians 6 and 3. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Those two passages tell us that we should not be a puffed up people then love is not rude, that is, it does not behave itself unseemly. Some people are just coarse and rude. It just seems to be somewhat their nature because they're not sensitive to the feelings of other people. We need to be sensitive to the, to the feelings of, of other people. Other people have feelings. You have feelings. You see, love is not rude, then love does not insist on its own rights, that is, it seeketh not its own. I think about Paul's statements in Philippians chapter 2, when he begins it by saying, If there is therefore any exhortation in Christ, any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tender mercies and compassion, make full my joy that you be of the same mind, being of the same core of one mind, doing nothing through faction, or through vainglory, but each of you looking on his own, each of you looking not on his own things. That's what we generally do. We look on our own things, but also on the things of others. We need to think about others more than we think about ourselves. Someone has said the way to have joy in your life: Jesus first, others second, yourself is last. You see, love does not insist. Uh, on its own rights. It seeketh not its own. We're thinking about others. And then love is not easily provoked. That is, it does not fly into a temper. How easily are you provoked? Love is not easily provoked or easily exasperated with people. You remember Kipling wrote the poem entitled If, and one of the lines was, If you can keep your head when all around you are losing theirs and blaming it on you, then you're a son, you are a man, my son. 
And sometimes all of the people around us are losing their heads and blaming it on us. But that's not love. Then Paul says, love thinketh no evil. Love does not store up the memory of wrongs that have been done. I, I read about some natives in a certain place. I think it was in Polynesia. And this may have been in years past. But they would keep in their huts reminders of people that had wronged them and people maybe that they had taken some vengeance on. Why would we want to do that? Why, why would we want to hang on to the memory of wrongs that we have received? Let, let's don't do that. The, the, Jesus said we need to be people that are willing to forgive other people. Jesus said if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you your trespasses. You see, love does not store up a memory of wrong. And then love do, does not take pleasure in evil doing. It does not rejoice in iniquity. Paul said in Romans 12 and 9, Abhor that which is evil. Now, to put that very plainly, hate what is evil. Detest what is evil. But you cling to, hang on to what is good. We need to be good finders today, don't we? Rather than always looking at something that's bad, something that's, uh, that's debased, something that's, that's wrong, let's try to look at all the things that we can that are good. That's a characteristic of love. And then he says that love rejoices with the truth. When I read that, there's a word that comes to my mind. That's integrity. I, I believe we ought to be people of integrity. A friend of mine teaches classes for uh, and training people how to be qualified as realtors. And so he asked me one day, he said, Can you give me a question that I could ask my class tonight that, that I may not have thought about that would be good in their profession? I said, I'll tell you what you ask them. And I asked them to give you a definition of integrity. And so uh, he came back later and I said, did you ask them the question? He said, I asked. He said, there was not a single person in the class that could give me a good definition of integrity. Well, that just simply means that you, you love the truth and you try to live the truth. And you try to be honest and, and upright and, and straight shooting with people. We also need to love the truth of God. Love the truth. Rejoice with the truth. And then he says that love bears all things. It endures all things. Love will bear insult and injury. Jesus did, did he not? When he was reviled, he reviled not. When he was threatened, he threatened not. Jesus was a, the epitome of love. And then Paul says that love believes all things. I want you to remember this statement. If you don't remember anything else I say today, remember this. Believe the best until you know the rest. You say, well, what do you mean by that? 
believe the best about people until you find out that your faith in them was not warranted. Believe the best about people. Be believe that they, they are honest. Believe that they're trying to do what is right. Have confidence in people. Have faith in people. Someone says, well, you must have never been disappointed in someone. Oh, yes, I have. Many times. But we still need to look for the good in people. Believe the best about people. And then he says that love never ceases to hope. Have you ever wanted just to give up? There was a man who went into a class of students one day. And the teacher was, was introducing the children in that class. And he pointed to one of the young boys in that class. And he said to this man, that boy is one of the stupidest students in this class. I can't imagine a teacher saying that. It is said that the visitor in the class went over and put his hand on top of the head of that young man. And he, son, he said, son, one day you're going to be a great Bible scholar. And that young boy grew up to be Adam Clark. There's probably not a preacher in America that doesn't have a set of Adam Clark's commentaries on the Bible. We need to see good in people and believe the best about people and, and encourage people. That's what love is all about. And then love never gives up. You know, Paul said, Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Churchill went to speak one day at a preparatory school for boys, and, and he stood up, and this was the, sort of the essence of his speech. Never, never, never give up. Don't ever give up. Love never gives up on people. Love never gives up on some difficult, hard case they might be dealing with. Oh, love is the greatest thing in all of the world. In the 13th verse, that's exactly what Paul said. He said, now abides faith, hope, love. These three. But the greatest of these is love. The one thing that's going to endure into eternity is love. We'll not have faith on the other side because faith will fade into sight. We will not have hope because hope will have been realized on life's other side. But the one thing that will endure is our love. And when someone says, well, why is that the case, do you suppose? Well, inasmuch as the Bible teaches in 1 John chapter 4 that God is love. God is the beginning of love. He is the end of love. God is the epitome of love. God is love. Just like the Bible says, God is light. 
God is love. And heaven will be a place of perfect love. Perfect love. And that's where love will abound. There are a lot of things we need in this old world. You say, well, I think what we need is, is we need greater military strength. We, we need answers for, the, for some of the diseases that people have today like cancer. Why can't they find an an answer for that? I think we need to do something about the scourge of drugs in this country. We need to do something about violence in the streets today. We need to do something to help our young people today. And all of those things are valid things. But my friend, I think the greatest thing that we really need is just to start loving each other again. If we would do that, there wouldn't be any violence in the streets. In all probability, there would not be many broken homes anymore. If we really practiced love, Bible love, politicians could sit down and they could iron out their differences and make decisions for the welfare of the common good of all. If we had love, there'd be war no more. And all the resources that we spend for war, we could spend to help feed people that are hungry, clothe people that are naked, to help people. My friend Tom Neal is exactly right. It's all about the love. I want to thank you for watching today. And my prayer is that you'll think about these things about love. Practice them in your family. Practice them wherever you go in life. Just try to be a loving person. I want to encourage you to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, right now, pick up the telephone. Call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. I emphasize it's free, and we'll send it to you free of charge. Well, you say, well, I, I, I'd just rather take it another way. Well, then, why don't you call the number you see on the screen or, or get on, the tele, on your computer with the uh, address that you see on the screen and you can take that online as well. Whatever you do, please take the Bible Correspondence Course. This program is called Getting to Know Your Bible. That's the reason for the course. Until we meet again, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord keep you is my prayer. We want to help you as much as possible in your search for a personal relationship with God. You can now easily access our free Bible correspondence course online at gettingtoknowyourbible.com. If there's any way we can help you grow closer to God, please email us at gettingtoknowyourbible at yahoo.com or call us anytime at 1-877-711-5214. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama 36580 
or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible.